Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. We thank you for your love and your blessings on us. We just ask that you would take this service and encourage us in our service for you, in our ability to serve you. Teach us from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated from the youth group, a senior trip from Southwest Baptist in Oklahoma City. They've been touring the city here for a couple of days and will actually be with us through Monday evening. And so pray for them as they uh, go about the city. Summer has finally gotten here. It's nice and warm now. And... uh, In two or three days, those subway platforms are going to be just as hot as it is up here. And the temperature won't go down. And it'll be so much fun standing there. And and, uh, no, it won't. But uh, we're glad they're here seeing all the sights, get to see real New York City. And uh, tonight we're going to get right into our lesson, kind of just summarizing here. We tried to look at the tabernacle differently than we have uh, in the past, uh, we're not taking apart each piece and looking at each uh, uh, application there, trying more to get the bigger picture, but that means covering uh, a lot more uh, scripture. And so um, tonight we're kind of try- I'm kind of trying to uh, wrap this up, and so uh, hopefully it won't be. Uh, too uh, uh, difficult to follow, but turn in your Bibles. We're going to spend most of our time in the Scripture in the book of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews is the place where all the connections in your Bible are made, and uh, we are trying to understand that the, the tabernacle, the later the temple, teaches us about God's grace, about His desire to have fellowship with us. But the one thing that we must grasp is we cannot approach a holy God our way. If we are going to have fellowship with God, if we are going to have our prayers answered, uh, it's not going to be because you got a loud mouth and you can make God hear you. Uh, we've been over this many times. God hears every prayer. Uh, do you think God's not aware of all the prayers written down on the Buddhist prayer wheels that spin in the wind? Uh, God knows everything. But He is not under an obligation to hear or answer those prayers except those that come from His children. And I would like to challenge you Uh, As we study the Christian armor, as we study the tabernacle, as we study the Bible, the closest you're going to get to God is in prayer. That God wants us to pray. Jesus, as He was on His way to Gethsemane, He told the disciples in John 16, He said, Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask in my name that ye may receive, and that your joy might be full. How many, don't raise your hand here, but how many of you can think of instances in your life where God answered your prayers? I'll tell you, that's something very, very special if you'll stop and think about it. The Creator God of the universe. See, 
This is, again, just chase a little rabbit here. This is, again, why we say our God is, the God of the Bible is not the same God as other churches who have the same name. You see, the God of the Catholic Church is too busy to get all of your prayers. He has to have helpers. Now, they would never say it that way. Because it would expose the foolishness of human thought. How can a human being help God? How can the God who is love be any more loving than has been demonstrated on the cross through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? And yet man is always looking for some way to enhance God, to... Uh, to make him better, to give me something that I can stand on. And if we'll just study this thing called the tabernacle, we'll understand you and I, we have nothing to stand on. We're not here to help God. He is here to help us. God is offering us the greatest opportunity that a Christian can have. Fellowship with God Himself. Read First John chapter 1. That's what John said. He said, I'm writing these things that you can have fellowship with us. Our fellowship is with God the Father and with Jesus Christ. But if you're not behaving the way the Bible says, the way that Jesus taught, you don't have fellowship no matter who you are and what you say. How many people do you meet? Oh, I'm okay. How many times have you walked in this church and someone says, How you doing? Fine. I mean, and please don't adopt the other extreme. How are you doing? Well, if you had about an hour and a half and a couple of handkerchiefs, I could, I could probably explain it to you. Uh, nobody wants to be around someone like that either. Now do they? But... What we're striving to do, what church is about, is helping you have and maintain the relationship with God, the fellowship with God that He wants you to have. But that doesn't come by accident. Now, we look in Hebrews chapter 9, and in verse 8, it tells us, the Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him perfect. I'm sorry, they could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. If you ever knew any of the, what we would call the old time preachers, they all, they, uh, many of the men that preached in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, they uh, loved to preach out of the pictures in the Bible, or types they're called. And, and the uh, tabernacle here is certainly... A living illustration, it says, which was a figure for the time then present. It was to teach us about God. But you cannot be saved 
by offering the sacrifices in the tabernacle. Not even the priest could save himself. Salvation, we understand, is in a living relationship with the living God. That did not change just because Jesus came down and fulfilled the prophecies. That was true in David's day. That was true in the days of Abel, uh, who offered the sacrifice and is listed first in the hall of faith in our Bible. It is a living relationship with the living God. The tabernacle is not here to necessarily explain to us about salvation as much as it is our daily relationship with God. Our daily walk. Our daily time. And, and I will tell you as a pastor, uh, just trying to be honest and, and simple as I can be, the hardest part of the Christian life is daily. Almost anybody can put on a suit. We warn our students before they go to Bible college. Anybody can look good on the campus of Bible college for a while. Anybody can look good on Sunday morning. But where the real Christian life is, is in daily. And so, let's turn over to chapter 10. And and let's, uh, we're not going to read all 18 verses here. I'd encourage you to read those uh, 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 later and try to get a fuller idea of the things we covered tonight. But look at the question that the writer of Hebrews asks in verse 2. For then would they have not, I'm sorry, for then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. Here's the question. I've met preachers, I've met Baptist preachers who said they were saved in the Old Testament by the sacrifices. I said, well, if you believe that, then... Why did they have to keep being offered? That's the question that's asked here in the book of Hebrews. Because if your sins were actually taken away, then there would come a time when you wouldn't need sacrifices. But it doesn't work that way. You see, there was only one sacrifice for sin, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But the regular and the sacrifices that were offered in the tabernacle itself on the brazen altar, those sacrifices were not a picture of salvation. They were a picture of daily living for God. You see, look at verse 12. But this man, talking about Jesus after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Verse 14, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before... This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, 
and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where the remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, the veil was torn when Jesus said, it is finished on the cross. But the work that was done in the holiest place was already, would be finished by Jesus on Resurrection Sunday morning. The blood sprinkled on the mercy seat in heaven. The eternal redemption, that's in chapter 9. But we get to chapter 13. And as the writer of Hebrews is tying things together, in verse 12 he says, Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered where? Without the gate. Just like the sacrifices on the Day of Atonement were were burned without the camp, let us go therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Now, if you read the rest of chapter 13, uh, twice there, uh, the writer of Hebrews is going to tell us to take note of those that have the oversight that you're going to answer to them and they will answer to God for you. There is an order in the worship of of God in the New Testament. We call that the church. And, And it is organized the Bible way. And there are things and places that we have and each one of us have a part in this. But if you look at the diagram there, and it's a super simple diagram here. Uh, I am not an artist, don't pretend to be. Uh, But I want you to understand something. So often, as we think about serving God, here's how we do it. Well, I need to put some type of fence between me and the world. I I want protection. uh, We call them standards. Now, where do most of us live when we deal with standards? Clinging tightly to the fence, looking over at the world. Could I challenge you? That's a very dangerous place to live. Because we know who put up the fence. We did. And we know where the weak spots are in the fence so that when we want to do something wrong... We can find a spot in the fence that will easily break down and accidentally put us into the world. How many say, preacher, guilty, as charged? Say, how do you know that? Because it happens in all of our lives. We're all human. You see, the idea of the tabernacle is not putting a fence between me and the world and looking toward the world. It's exactly the opposite. There was a linen curtain seven feet high that went all around the court of the tabernacle. You know what? You cannot climb a linen fence. Uh, There is no way to get over it. It was weighted down every ten feet by 75 pounds of brass and a pole and 
and spikes there. You could not crawl under it without digging through the sand. And if you've ever been in a real desert, that's not something you want to try with your bare hands. You just might find something under that sand that you didn't expect to find there. It was a efficient and very careful barrier that kept everything out. The only people to get in were the priests. By the way, how do you become a priest? Have you ever had anybody ask you, how many priests, what kind of priests do you have in the Baptist church? I mean, we get that question a lot here. And my first response, being that I'm just a little bit of a smart aleck in my genes, I guess, something like that. So we're, we're all priests in the Baptist church. I mean, that is the truth. If you are saved, read the book of Revelation. We've been over this again and again, that he has made us kings and priests. Jesus has already finished the work of the high priest. That was once in the holiest of all, with the blood sprinkled on the mercy seat, suffering or burning the body of those outside the camp. The Day of Atonement. Jesus did that one time for all. So the tabernacle is not here to primarily teach us about salvation. That was only a extremely one day a year and not the only sacrifice on that day. If we're going to embrace Christ, if we're going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we got to stop believing in what is out there in the world. You know, I read a book years and years ago. It was uh, talking about how to win people to Christ, and it talked about the stained glass barrier, how the stained glass windows keep people away from God. No, there's only one thing that keeps people away from God. It's called sin. And, of course, the biggest problem with sin is the big eye in the middle now, isn't it? And so, even after we're saved, what's the biggest problem we face? Still sin, isn't it? Well, wait a minute. Look at your diagram here. If I'm going to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ... I got to leave the world. If I'm going to enter into the tabernacle, I've got to be a priest, saved. But not only a priest, I got to be consecrated. Ah, now we get to the good stuff, baptism. That is your uniform. That is your identification. That tells people who you are. That's why we're particular about baptism. Is because if you were baptized in a Presbyterian church or a Bible church or a church that has no name and no doctrine, that's what you're identifying with. We, we simply want to be identified with the Lord Jesus Christ. I, uh, people say, why do you use the name Baptist? You know who the most famous Baptist is in New York City? Al Sharpton. I'm not doing very good for our side now, is it? Well... How many of you here need to be told that Al Sharpton isn't on our side, never has been, never will be? He just uses the name because it's a good name. Listen, we're not going to deny our history. We're not going to deny who we are. We're going to be honest about those things. That gets us into the courtyard. 
a priest, consecrated, ready to serve. Where is the first place the priest serves? The brazen altar. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies, what? A living sacrifice. You see, the brazen altar is a picture of that. You see, when the lamb was offered on that brazen altar every morning, every night. By the way, where did the fire come? It came from the night before. And that came from the night before. The Jewish people hold the tradition that they, uh, Moses, actually God, lit the brazen altar at the foot of Mount Sinai. And that fire was not put out until um, 1,200 years or so later when Nebuchadnezzar's armies came through and, and destroyed. I don't think I got the years right. Anyway, from about 1,400 to 600, that's 800 years um, that it was when Nebuchadnezzar's army sacked and destroyed Jerusalem in 600 that that fire was finally put out. And that they relit that fire in the days of Zerubbabel and that it was not extinguished again until the Roman armies came in in 70 A.D. Well, you stop and think about those things. We are not doing something new. We're not innovating. The death of ourself, the end of my wishes. How many of you have lived long enough and have made decisions in your life that have allowed you to see the joy and the blessing by surrendering what you want to do to what God wants to do? Can we say amen to that? What greater knowledge can a person have than to know that what you're doing with your life is what God Himself has chosen for you to do with your life? You want me to tell you the number one divorce preventative? Is knowing that you married the person that God wants you to marry. It's the number one problem. You can't... uh, It didn't work for Adam. The woman thou gavest me, that didn't work for Adam. It won't work for you. We have to understand something. God's got a lot better taste than you do. God knows what is good. He knows what is best. And by the way, He only wants what is best. But as the priest would offer that daily sacrifice, he would have to clean the ashes off the altar from the night before, clear out the grate so the air could move through and so the fire could burn brightly and all of those things. He would get his hands dirty. He would get his feet dirty. As he walked around the altar, the blood of those sacrifices was poured out on the ground and he would get blood on his feet. Not a pretty picture. But, you know, as we walk through this life, we get a lot of stuff just trying to serve the Lord. Well, guess what was there? The brazen labor. Amen? The washing of the water of the Word. You know how often the priests used to labor? All the time. I remember talking to someone years ago, 
And they said, well, Pastor, if I had to confess every sin when I did it, that's all I get done is confessing sin. Well, that's a good start. Amen? Uh, You can't stay that way. As you get closer to the Lord, He's going to help you move away from those things. You see, it's that moment-by-moment cleansing of the water of the Word that keeps me serving. The children of Israel got into trouble when they stopped looking at the tabernacle and started looking back at Egypt, didn't they? Things were a whole lot better in the desert than they were in Egypt. They were in slavery and hard bondage. Now, once we've dealt with ourself and our sin, then we can have fellowship with God. So that's the problem with the Purpose Driven Life book. Is you don't have to deal with self because... He says that God puts self there. And you need to enhance that self. And God will enhance that self and give you what self wants. The Bible says exactly the opposite. The Bible says you've got to die to self. You've got to be dead. You've got to give up what you want. I, I, I can't tell you how many people over the years that have said, I'm just afraid. And I said, what are you afraid of? I don't want God to make me a missionary. And my first thought is, you don't have to worry about that. You don't even have to think about that. Because God doesn't use unwilling vessels. And He's not going to call somebody that doesn't come to church to go start a church. So how about we start with a few basic things like showing up. Amen? You see, when I get rid of myself, it opens the door for God to do what He wants. And I promise you, I, 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 I'm, I don't consider myself an old man, but I've been around the block long enough. I can tell you something. If you'll do it God's way, it's always better than your way. Always. If you want fellowship with God, He does not need your ideas. He does not need your instruction. In fact, we got to put that away. That's what this is a picture. When I finally deal with sin and self, I can enter the holy place. You know, the children of Israel got tired of the manna, didn't they? It says, our soul loatheth this light bread. I'm on a no-carb diet. I love bread of any kind. But not supposed to have it right now. But the children of Israel, they said, God rained their food down every morning. But we're tired of it. Same thing. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. Can I ask you a question? Have you got tired of feeding at the Word of God. You know how easy it is to read somebody else's book about the Bible instead of reading the Bible? You see, if we'll turn around and stop facing the world and look only to that golden altar, 
You see, we can't get to real Bible prayer until we get past ourselves, until we deal with our sin. There are uh, one of the things young people always are curious about. How am I going to know that that he's the one? Well, I, I will tell you this. If you're so busy worrying about who's the one, you're going to miss him. Because if he's really on fire for the Lord and loving the Lord, he's not looking for somebody that's just sitting there going, maybe him, maybe him. I found my wife serving God. She found me serving God. We have a pretty good run. Over 30 years and counting. Amen. Let's keep it moving. If you want to understand God's provision for you, if you're not surrendered to God, if you're not rid of self when it presents itself, you're not going to have the proper attitudes and the proper desires to accept what God's gift. That's why we have so many people rejecting the church today is because they are so full of worldly appetites that that bread from the table of showbread, which is the bread of life, doesn't taste so good anymore. You see, it's that total surrender. Why do we eat food? Well, the proper reason to eat food is to keep enough energy in the body to live life. Amen? My father once said, he said, we, he said some people eat to live. He says, we live to eat. Well, let's, we've got to be careful about that. But the whole thing is the table of showbread. We get the energy, the strength to serve Christ, the spiritual metabolism from Jesus Christ. How many of you have ever... Well, usually algebra gets the idea crossed. You're looking at all those letters. and Where are the numbers at? Oh, they're the little ones on top. We call them exponents. Do we have any people who just love algebra, quadratic and polynomials? I don't see any hands going up. Uh, maybe one or two. But I will tell you this, if you'll learn the principles, it's not that hard. If you'll learn the basics, You, algebra is not that hard. What makes algebra hard is you're trying to start at level 22 when you have 21 steps before you get to level 22. You're never going to get it right. It's always going to be confusing. And let me tell you, serving Christ cannot be honest. It cannot be clear. You cannot see the way ahead unless you have the right kind of light. There is no sight that happens without light. Do you realize we have these things our soldiers wear on the field called night vision uh, optics and, and they can see in total darkness. No, that's not true. 
If there is total darkness, you can't see. Now, some of them work off infrared, which is a different kind of light that you can't see with the human eyes. Others will take one candle power and make it a thousand. And so, if we took one candle and completely darkened this room and lit it in the middle of this room, you wouldn't be able to see very much. But you multiply that by a thousand and this room would be super lit. Now, wouldn't it? Well, they've got goggles that magnify that light and allow them to see what other people who don't have such things can't see. Do you realize that's the job of the Christian in a world that's full of the darkness of sin? There's not a lot of light in this world. Now, is there? Uh, One thing you'll see about New York City, it's a dark place. A lot of people trying to do the best they can. But you know what? I have the light of life. The light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only true light of this world is from God. I can see where I'm going. I'm not tricked when they come up with global warming and Russian collusion. And it's going to get better. And we're going to solve our problems. And the United Nations is made up of really wonderful, good people. I mean, those are all things that are going to just lead you into despair and darkness. That sin is good. That you're missing something. That you need to be on that fence looking over. When the, actually it is so opposite. See, if I'm not inside the holy place, the light of that candlestick doesn't help me a bit. Because it's only on the inside. Now, where does the bread and the light lead me? To the center of the room? And that's the golden altar. That's where prayers go up. Read Revelation chapter 8. It's a golden altar before the throne of God in heaven, and they offered much incense with the prayers of the saints on that altar. If you have not been in a place where you have to have God work a miracle, I challenge you, you don't know much about life. I like to call it terrifying faith. It's when you're standing and you have no way to make it forward unless God himself intervenes. I want to challenge you, most Christians never get there. It's not a very comfortable place. The only way you can get there is by being guided by the light of the candlestick and only fed from the table of showbread. It's by a complete death of self in that daily washing of the water of the Word. It's entering into intimate fellowship with God. Now, I want to tell you something. In the Old Testament tabernacle... Only the priests, the sons of Aaron, could enter. That's a very, very small percentage of the children of Israel. But I want you to understand something. Our God is so big that he has made a way for every one of us to come boldly before the throne of grace.
and obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Who's going to solve your problem? I hope you're not trusting in the government. But I want to tell you, the one we have here in this country is the best one in the whole world today. Isn't that a terrifying thought? But if you're trusting in the government to solve your problems, you are in deep, deep trouble. You're not even in the courtyard here. And we're not of those people that rebel against the government. Because if I'm seeking God and surrender to Him, He tells me to honor to whom honor, pay my taxes, to be the best citizens ought to be those that know how to pray. You read the history of the Revolutionary War. If it were not for the prayers of God's people, that war would have never turned out the way that it did. Come next Thursday and we'll have some wonderful stories about that. And these are real history stories. Real life people. You see... If I were to ask the question tonight, how many of you want to have fellowship with God? I think every hand would go up. And yet, we have people that aren't saved, aren't baptized, aren't members of the church. Those are just things that are expected in the Bible. And I would challenge you, if you're serious about having fellowship with God, first of all, you've got to settle the issue of that salvation. Otherwise, you're not his child. You're not a priest. You do not have a direct line. You do not have a right to enter. But once you are saved and you are baptized and you are serving God in a local church, you're going to get dirty. You're going to need that brazen labor. And you know what? You're going to have your own ideas about things. They accuse us of being mind-numb robots. But you know what's so amazing to me? is everybody that comes out of those nightclubs and all of that alphabet society and everything that's out there, I mean, sure, it's purple on this side and green on this side, and the next one's green on this side, and pur- but it all's the same. It all looks the same. You want to really be different? Get to the point to where those people look at you and say, wow, you're weird. Now, then you know you've arrived. Why do they say you're weird? It's because you're not trusting in your own self and your own thought and your own light and your own substance. I have a real God that supplies all those things. He leads me. I love that song. He leadeth me. Oh, blessed thought. Oh, words with uh, comfort wrought. Wow. That's where we are, isn't it? That's where we're supposed to be. Do you realize that if I was actually talking to God, what else would matter? Remember Peter walking on the water and he began to sink? And Jesus stretched out a hand. How did Peter get back in the boat? Did Jesus pick him up and carry him like a little baby? I don't think so. 
You know, I think I could walk on water if I was holding Jesus' hand. How about you? You see, what heaven is going to be about is we're finally going to be at a point to where we're so absorbed with God that nothing else matters. And that's where you want to be. Because then you're going to ask God for the things He wants you to ask Him for. You're going to actually be in tune. God will actually be able to do something with us on purpose instead of in spite of us as He has to do so often as we walk this veil of tears we call life. Study the tabernacle. Read those passages. Oh, the most boring parts of your Bible. Absolutely not. They tell us. You do not have the right to approach God your way. You better do it His way. Even though you're saved and you're serving in the church, you're baptized, you got all your little uh, duckies in a row, as they say. Hey, the next stop is a brazen altar. Every morning, every night. Because that old sin nature is worse than any horror monster that they've ever developed in Hollywood. No matter how many times you kill it, it's still looking at you the next morning because it's you. You don't need doppelgangers when you have a sin nature. I think that's the word they use for demonic lookalikes. The world is so full of all this pretense and all these lies. And they so want to teach you all about the devil. I had a preacher visit us many years ago, and he says, Yeah, we've, we've worked out these dramas in mime, and, and uh, we really want to help. I mean, it just brings to home how sinful sin is. And I just looked at him and I said, Do you hear what you're saying? He said, This is New York City. If there's anything that we know about here, it is sin. And you're not going to teach us any more than we already know. What people need to hear is about Jesus. And that happens when God's people turn their back on the world and stop worrying about what the world has that we can't get a hold of and make for that golden altar where we can finally get past ourselves and our problems and pray and get answers from God. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. And Lord, I ask that you would help us to understand that each barrier we pass through from the world to that golden altar is, a, is, is put there to protect us and keep us from what's in the world. And Lord, that you would help each of our hearts As the old songwriter said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. That we would turn around and understand what a privilege it is to talk to you in prayer, just as we're doing right now. Lord, we admit we're so foolish. We admit we do not know how to pray as we ought. and Lord, that we need the Holy Spirit to guide us and to intercede for us. But we want to thank you for your grace and your mercy. We want to thank you for your forgiveness and your love. 
We want to thank you, Lord, that you're big enough to give every one of us who have named the name of Jesus as our personal Savior, who have stopped believing in the world and just believe only in Jesus, that you're big enough to allow each one of us to approach you as if we were the only person alive, that you care about our prayers equally with the prayers of every other person. Lord, I'm glad that you don't have favorites. But Lord, I pray that this message would at least challenge each one of us in this room to take advantage of all these wonderful things that you have offered and that we would stop trying to fellowship with the world, but we would attempt to pray in a way that would be counted worship and fellowship of the Most High God. Work in our hearts that we may bring praise and glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll have the piano play. We'll just keep our heads bowed for a moment. If you need to slip out of your seat, the altar is open.